You know that message of our sins being as scarlet and washed white as snow is again a little bit of a mysterious message and one that we need to dive into in our lives. But we need to realize that behind that is this message, this gospel of hope and of reconciliation. And I know of no other faith, no other religion, no other philosophy, no other philosopher, nothing out there that has what we have in our possession that makes us who we are. That the streets and the drug-infested streets and areas of Cape Town where I was this past week or the where the, the people in the Tonga villages uh, are needing to hear this message or it's in Mozambique where we struggle with a, a translator to give them this message of reconciliation, of hope. This message is not a message just for us. It's not just for our children. It is for the nations. It's for everyone. And so I, I hope that you understand that as we talk about the nations, that it is something that we're just getting in on what God's about. And when God does this thing, when we go for two weeks or go for two years or go for the rest of our life or, or we're just supporting those who are going or whatever, this is just a part of his plan. And we're just getting in on what he's doing. And this is a really cool thing that happens. Whenever we are doing God's work out there, God does His work in here. God does amazing things as I am externally focused, as I'm thinking of others and not thinking of myself, as I'm giving that message of hope. God does incredible, amazing work out there as He's working also in here, in me. And this is so true whenever you go for an intensive two weeks. Now, this is not a sales pitch at all, but I just want you to understand that when we talk about making disciples that make disciples at Grace Point Church, we realize this. When we're when over the past years that we've been assessing a lot of our church and where we're at and where we're moving and where we're missing it and where we're on target, and one of the things we have learned is that there's something catalytic that happens whenever there's this two-week intensive dive-in that can happen. It doesn't happen to everyone, but it happens in many, many, many people that God does an incredible work. So let me just give you an example of how when we're doing this work out here, God is doing a work inside here. Let me give you a couple examples. So I asked the, the 25 of our members that had gone out in the past couple of weeks, I asked them one question uh, in an email this past week, and I asked them, give me a tweetable statement, all right? Something in 120 characters that describes the answer to this question. How has God changed you, as you're doing this work without, he's doing the work within, how has God changed you in the past few days of you being in Zambia, of you being in Mozambique? I got a number of responses back, and there's no way that I can take time to read through all of them. But let me read through some of them, and you will just kind of hopefully identify with, with, with them, or maybe you've seen it in yourself as you've gone. So here's what Matthew said. Matthew said, going to Africa, God showed me. I need to pray more, trust God more, thank Him more, be obedient no matter what, and be on mission every day. This is a work that God was doing 
out inside of him as he was doing work, Matthew was doing work in the villages. Jeff said it like this, and Jeff was one of those who didn't, uh, he sent me three paragraphs. And so I had to bring his down to a tweetable moment. So here's what I got from his. I need to get out of the driver's seat with my expectations and listen to what God, God's expectations are for the moment. I'm so much in the driver's seat of my life that I need to get out of the driver's seat and I need to let God in the driver's seat of my life. God is doing His work within while we are doing work without. God is doing the great things. David said it like this. David, who's still over there, he said, This trip changed me by taking me well beyond my comfort zone, which was a common theme in a lot of people's, well beyond my comfort zone, yet not even close to God's boundless potential for my ultimate faith journey. I love it. Tiernan said this, and again, I'm not reading all of them. They're all on the screen. You can catch as many as you can. Tiernan said it like this, changed my perspective on prayer as I hit a spot where I could truly do absolutely nothing and had to rely on God's 100%. I love that. Because the realization, the sooner we get to the end of ourselves, the sooner we can get to the boundlessness of God. Think about that. But as long as we have any reserves, as long as we have anything inside of ourselves, we will depend upon ourselves before we will ever turn to God. This is what God just does this work within as we're doing the work without. I love Michael sitting over here. He, he went with me on my team into, uh, into northern Mozambique. Michael said this, a walk of obedience to the Great Commission. I'm amazed how God used his cracked clay pot to bring others to Christ. I was with Michael whenever he was telling creation to Christ with a 68-year-old man who was a Muslim, who on that day, he said it like this in his broken Portuguese, or, or actually Makua Meta, a language, he said, I can finally See, and he did just like that. This all makes sense. I can finally see. As a missionary has been pouring into him, and Michael was there, and he was sharing this, it was incredible to see how God can use incredible and do incredible things with broken pots like ourselves. Here's what uh, Michelle said. Michelle said that the greatest work was fear that she was facing in her life, yet we literally drove through fire to share the love of Christ in a village, and we witnessed 12 people give their life over to Christ. Rob was another one who couldn't follow instructions, gave me four paragraphs of what God had done in his life. And so here's what he said. However, notice the last phrase, however, the greatest blessing of all comes from me being uncomfortably stretched. When we... Get on what God is doing and we obey Him and he, we begin to work outside. God begins to do some of His most beautiful, powerful, transforming work inside of us. Welcome to the Evolve series. Find in your Bibles the book of Colossians, a little bitty a book, several pages, maybe just two, two or three pages maybe in your Bible. But we're going to be talking about, as, as Brett introduced last week, becoming your best you. As you do God's work without, God is going to do His work within. It's just one of the ways that He begins to mold and to shape you, to get you dependent on Him in prayer, to get you uncomfortable in your circumstances, to get you to see God's provision in your life. And on and on and on did we hear people talk about what God has been transforming and doing in their life. 
And as we look at Colossians, we're going to be kind of in the, in the middle uh, towards the end of chapter 1. We'll be there in a moment. But here's what question I, wanna a- I want you to ask yourself today. And you think about God's best you, okay? When you think about God's transforming work that He's going to want to do in you and through you, I want to think about what is your best you. And I'm not trying to do my version of Joel Olstein here, okay? This is not just a, a prosperity thinking kind of gospel here, all right? Uh, what I want you to think about is if God is evolving me, if God is changing me, if God is morphing me, what does the best me look like? Well, sometimes we have to start with, who am I? Just, who am I? Where am I? Because if, if I don't know who I am right here, then I can't know where I am going there. Or I won't know when God is transforming me. Or I'll push back on, on that. Uh, I, can, I can remember back to a time whenever I was struggling with my identity. Who am I? It was a time in my life when I began to sense that God was leading and moving and morphing in my life and, and shifting and changing me and pushing me out of my comfort zone into my uncomfortable zone and into a very uncomfortable spot in my life. And as, as he began to do that, I began to hear voices. I know that may shock you, but I hear voices and you hear voices and you listen to those voices sometimes. The voices said something like this, Mike, you can't do this. Mike, you're not smart enough. Mike, you're dumb. Let me be honest with you. The voice inside my head said, Mike, you're stupid. You can't do this. I even had a teacher tell me whenever I was applying for college. She said, why are you doing that? Because none of our students, and she was talking about the class that I was in, the remedial class, none of our students go to college. Why are you applying which to me translated, she meant this or not, which to me translated that, hey, you're dumb, you're not qualified. If you go, you're going to fail, you're going to drop out, you're, you're not going to make it. You don't have what it takes. Who am I and what is God doing in me? And is, am, am I missing it? I can remember a statement that was said, and it was, it was, it was a kind of a convicting statement because I began to listen to words like this. And it was a, one man who said it like this, is you are not what you are. You are not what you think you are. You are what other people think you are. You are what other people are saying about you. You listen to the lies. And sometimes we get lost in that. You are what you think other people think you are. And that's where we've got to come back and we've got to say, God, who am I? Who am I in you and what are you doing in me and what are you about and, and how are you shaping me and how are you molding me? Am I stuck over here? If I'm stuck over here, then, then why is that? Because God is wanting to transform you. At the same time, listen, the world is wanting to conform you. It is wanting to shape you. It is wanting to make you. It is wanting you to believe and think and to do and to live as everyone else is doing because that's what everyone does. And we have to be careful to know who we are in Christ and rest in that identity and allow God to shape us as he wants to. E.E. E. Cummings says it like this, to be the nobody, to be, excuse me, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never Stop fighting. Who am I? Who are you? If we're talking about evolving and becoming our best you, we need to understand who 
we are in Christ and the difference that that makes when we allow Christ to reign and rule in us and begin to be who he is, who he is fully in us, making us fully who he wants us to be. Now, as last week, uh, again, uh, we mentioned it, that uh, Brett did an incredible job of challenging you to read through Colossians daily, weekly, to read through the, uh, to read through the, the four chapters and just kind of let it marinate over, over your life. I mean, it's literally, uh, two and a half pages of my Bible. So you could do it in one setting. You could do it multiple times a day. Or if you just wanted to read a chapter a day. But if you notice that last week, he introduces the, the book and he starts with prayer. As Paul so often does, he starts with prayer. Now, the next part of Colossians chapter one, verse 15, is he kind of goes goes into a praise. All of that is introductory material, if you will. Really, it's kind of the laying the foundation. He talks about prayer in so many of Paul's letters. That's how he starts his letters. And then you go right into this doxology of praise to God. Now, here's the thing. You would think that if prayer was first, then today we're going to talk about this passage, but we're not. That is an ancient hymn that was in, written in, the, in, 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 it's in, it's contained inside the writings of Paul to the, to the church at Colossia. And as he writes this, this is great, beautiful hymn of the faith of who Jesus is. We're actually going to come back at the end of the series on Christmas Eve day, where we'll have worship services on three different uh, times on that day. We're going to come in and we're going to break down that praise. So this week, though, I want us to kind of dive into the next section. And we're just going to take it section by section as we read through this and piece it and weave it all together. But here's one of the things. Whenever you read the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, if you don't see Jesus more fully, if you don't fall in love with Jesus more deeply, you need to go back and reread this. Because everything about Colossians and everything about the evolved process of God making us our best you is not tied to me pulling myself up my my bootstraps. It's not about me having the right networks. It's not about me figuring out the life's secret codes. It's not about me having a positive mental attitude. It's about me being in a relationship with Jesus and Jesus doing his most beautiful, powerful, transforming work in me. But who am I? Who are you? Let's start with that. Let's begin there. And let's just begin at the end of this doxology of this praise. And let's understand who Jesus is and how he fits into the big picture. Verse 19 says it like this. For in him, all, who's him, him being Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Everything that God is, everything that God is about, everything that God believes in, everything uh, about the, the fullness, the completeness, the, the comprehensiveness, the, the infinite God is contained in Jesus. All right? Now think about that for just a moment. Jesus enters into time. He puts on flesh and he dwells among men. He got tired at night. He stumped his toe. It hurt. He bled. He, he, he lived a life of, of a man, but yet he was still the fullness, the completeness of God. So when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a good example. We're not just talking about a good role model. We're talking about the fullness 
of God. Everything about Jesus was fully God. Now, Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says like this, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He mentions it twice, pretty much says the same thing twice. Again, emphasizing that Jesus is God. He doesn't just contain a little bit of God. He didn't just talk about God. He didn't just point us to God. He is God. So we've got to get that down big, plain, and straight. But now let's go on. Let's, let's, let's pick up reading in verse 20 as he's beginning to wrap up this hymn. And he says, Though, through him and, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things. So the fullness of God is in Jesus. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from, uh, from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I started this message, I said, we have the message of hope. We have a message of hope that this world doesn't have, that no philosophy offers us anything else. And what does Paul say at the very last part of his introduction? He says this, he says, I am a minister of hope. I, I, that's what I came. I, I am the hope of the gospel. I am a minister of the hope of the gospel. What I am about is the hope found in the gospel. And what is the gospel? I know it's a word, it's a Christianese word. It means, it refers to the death, burial, and resurrection. I am that message of hope. That's what I exist for. So what do we exist for as followers of Christ? We exist to be ministers of hope. But we need to understand, first of all, who we are. So there are three identities, okay? There are three possible identities that you might find yourself today that he mentions here in this passage. I call it the three me's. Who am I right now, okay? And you'd ask yourself that. The three me's. Which which me am I, okay? One is there's the wrecked me, okay? The wrecked me. Don't miss that because that's where we all start. We're all a bunch of broken, messed up, wrecked people, all right? We, 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 we're not there. We haven't arrived. We, we're, we're, that's why when you read the, first, the beginning of this in Paul's prayer, he said, I want to pray that I'll have the full wisdom of the knowledge of Christ. Why is that? Because we don't have the full wisdom of the knowledge of Christ. We need to have that knowledge. We don't have that knowledge. We constantly are striving and going about this world, and we are constantly listening to so many other voices out there. University of Chicago and their school of business concluded that tweeting or checking emails may actually be harder to resist than cigarettes and alcohol. When you think about what Brett said last week, I keep referring back to that because it was so well said. What keeps us from praying? Many times it's nothing more than social media. Many times it's nothing more than our own distracted self. 
And that distracted self, that preoccupied self, that self of, of um, self-grandizement, that self that is not centered on Christ, that self does not... What is that? What is that self? That is the broken and wrecked self. That is the self that is without Christ. That is the me that is missing Christ. That is the broken and the wrecked me. It's a man who I heard this past week say this statement. And this is what he made. And I immediately started writing it down as I was overhearing this statement. He said, I hate my life. I don't live. I get things done. My life is one big task list. And all I do is live in my inbox. And then he said this. He said, I need energy drinks and coffee to make it through the day. And I need sleep aids to sleep at night. I hate my life. If that just described you, if your life is made of Red Bull and sleeping pills... If your life is nothing more than an inbox, if your life is nothing more than tasks, you are no longer living a life of meaning. You are living a life of just grinding it out day after day. The sooner we wake up to this broken world that we live in, to the shambles that we live in, and say, is there not a better way? Is there not a more complete path? Is there not hope out there beyond this life? Listen to the way he describes them in verse 21. He says, you who were once, speaking past tense, but listen to what we once were. If you're in Christ, then you're past this. But some of us sitting in this room are still there. We're alienated. We're hostile in mind. We're doing evil deeds. That describes a lot of our day and age. And let me ask you the questions today. Are you alienated from God? Are you, are you apart from God? Are you separate from God? Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Are you dead in life? Are you the walking dead? Living out your life, but it's not full and complete. Isaiah 59 verse 2, That our iniquities have separated us from God, that He no longer hears us. We are literally going through life on our own. We're wondering where is God. We're wondering where life meaning is we're questioning the existence of God. We're lacking so much. We're lacking an intimate relationship with God. Where does this come from when we talk about our congregation? You guys, you, you completed a survey at the first of the year that basically answered this question for us that about 11% of our people feel like they have an intimate relationship with God. Now, I realize that, 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 that there's a lot to, tied into that, that maybe we've not helped you in that process, or maybe you've not helped yourself in that process, or, or maybe it's because we have new believers in our church, or maybe it's because 71% of our people who come to Grace Point Church are, are, have come from an unchurched background, and they're still trying to figure this, this whole connecting with God thing out. But here's what I want you to, what you need to wrestle down today. Am I with God and God with me, or is it like this? Or is it... Hide and seek with God. I don't know where God is and He never answers my prayers and I'm not in pursuit of Him. I am alienated from God. Are you aligned with God? Alienated or aligned? Intimate or disconnected? To be alienated is to live the wrecked life. To be hostile 
Do I live with unresolved anger in my heart? He said, you're hostile in mind. There are some people, and you know some of these people, and you might be one of these people, okay? Who literally is constantly, you have to assess yourself, constantly has inside of your heart a constant temperature of anger. You're angry with life. You're angry with your spouse. You're angry with your kids. You're angry with your job. You're, you're just, you're just, there's just this simmering, ever bubbling hostility inside of you. Where does that come from? How do I get rid of that? How do I move beyond that? Where does this random shooting stuff come from? This racial tension, this workplace violence, these wars that we have, and these Twitter wars that we have. Where do they come from? Unless there's hostility that is simmering deep inside of us. Does your life model that of a disciple? Because if you notice what he said there, doing evil deeds. What do we say about being a disciple of Christ? A disciple is one who is becoming fully obedient, multiplier, following Jesus. That means in my life I am fully aligned with Christ or am I alienated from Christ? If you continue in my words, Jesus said, then you are truly my disciples. Is there anything in my life right now that is not in balance, that is out of balance between God and I, the wrecked me? But I also want us to understand that there's a reconciled me. And I hope that some of you are here. But some of y'all are living in the wrecked me, but some of y'all are maybe tiptoeing into the reconciled me. And we need to understand that that life is painful and people are painful and, and circumstances are painful. But here's what I want you to think about for just a moment. I want you to think of the person in your life that has caused you the greatest amount of pain. All right? Now, I don't want your blood pressure to go up in this moment here. But I want you to think about them. The greatest amount of pain in your life. And here's what I'm going to bet. It's somebody you're related to. It's somebody you're connected to. It's somebody that you share a lot of history with. But that person. I want you to zero in on them for a moment. I want you to think about this concept of reconciled. What will it take? Let's not talk about reconciled first. What will it take for you to forgive them? Let's let's not talk about reconciliation, okay? We're just going to talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is you releasing the offense, okay? They may never change on the other side, okay? They may never change their ways and they may never repent of their ways, but you forgive them whenever you release them. And I'm not going to hold it against them any longer. But the problem is, is a lot of people do not forgive. A lot of people refuse to forgive. You hurt me and you won't even tell them. You'll just simmer in that hurt and that pain. You've heard the phrase before, bitterness is drinking the poison and waiting for the other person to die. Whenever you live in a state of unforgiveness, a lack of forgiveness, you live in that state of bitterness. Now, when I forgive someone, I can do that and they would never change. So here's my offender. I can forgive them and they never change. Because forgiveness is them not changing, but me changing. Me releasing them from their offenses. 
Me letting them go. See, at the very root of the word forgiveness is the word give. I choose to give you your life. I choose to release that offense that, that you've done to me. But I want to take it a next step further. What would it take, that person that's causing your blood pressure to go up right now, what would it take for you to forgive and be reconciled to them? Now, that's a totally different world. Because I, I, I don't care what the offense is in life, you need to learn to forgive them. In fact, Jesus commands us to forgive them, okay? But now we've got to ask the question, what's it going to take for me to be reconciled to that one? That means that's a two-party transaction. Because when I forgive somebody, they may never change, but I've left them free from their offenses. But whenever there's reconciliation that takes place, that's both people coming together, and they're both people coming to terms with the offenses. Coming to terms and being able to let go of the offenses. There are people who leave marriages because they can't be reconciled. They call it irreconcilable differences. There are people who will leave churches because they got upset over here and they'll just take their upsetness to another church. There are people who leave jobs because they did not, they, 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 they weren't able to be reconciled. There are people who leave friendships because there was broken trust. And whenever two, unless two parties come together and they agree. And why is all this talk about reconciliation? Look at verse 20. And through him, to be reconciled to himself all things. Everything in this world, all the brokenness of this world, all the prejudices of this world, all the racism of this world, all the anger of this world. Jesus Christ came, bled and died so that he might make things whole again. That as we the offenders would repent of our ways and get right with God, that he would make his, he would come across the island that he would reconcile to us. And be reconciled to us. How does he do this? On earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. In verse 22. He now reconciled in his body in the flesh of his death in order to present you holy and blameless before God. You know, the word reconciliation is taking forgiveness to a whole new level. There will be some people in this world, here, hear me out, that you will never be able to be reconciled with. You'll never be able to. Why? Why do I say that? Because you may lean into the relationship, but they may lean out. And when they're leaning out, there's no way you could be reconciled. But when they both lean in, you can be reconciled. Make things right. What, what happened? We sinned against God. We move away from God. There's an offense from God. We continue in this lifestyle. We're not with God. God's, we're alienated. We're hostile in mind. We're doing evil deeds. We're doing our own thing. What does God do? He leans in by sending His Son, Jesus. And if we will turn to Him, we will lean into Him, we can be reconciled to God. Now, here's the reality. In this room, this size, this many people, there are some people who are sitting in your seats right now, and you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. In almost a smugness. Yeah, yeah, I know about the forgiveness of God. Yeah, I know John 3.16. Stop it. Stop it. Have you been reconciled to God? He's leaned in by sending His Son Jesus. He wants to reconcile to you. Have you leaned in by giving your life fully and completely to Him? Or are you over here separated 
every time in the New Testament that it talks about God being reconciled to man or man being reconciled to God, every single time you mark it down, it is God initiating it. Every single time. In the book of Romans chapter 5, we were enemies. How's that for a description? It's one thing to be alienated. It's another thing to be hostile and hard. It's another thing to have all these evil things coming out of our life. We were enemies. We were reconciled to God. By faith, uh, by, by, uh, by the death of, of, the, of His Son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. In Christ, God has or was reconciling. The, notice who's the initiator in this. God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we become reconcilers once we've been reconciled to God. Are you living the wrecked me? The reconciled me. Which is that when I enter into that relationship with God, that time that I'm justified, that time that I'm made right, the time that that things are made right between God and I. But that's not enough. That's beautiful And this starts the music playing and this starts life living and this is the beginning of it all. Moving out of the wrecked life into the reconciled life is a beautiful thing, but it doesn't end there. For some in this room, that's where it's ended. I'm in a relationship with God, but it's gone no further. This is where I want to enter into the whole message, the whole series. But then there's the best you, the best me. Where God is taking the reconciled, the rack, the reconciled, where is He taking it? He's taking it to the best. He's taking it to where He's wanting to present before God. This, this, where He redeems and He reconciles and He reclaims us. And when He does this, when He reclaims us, you become beautiful and useful. You become what God intended you to become. You become this this person, this individual that God looks at and He says, you are beautiful and I'm going to use you in this world. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I know this time of year we all kind of dress up in outfits and look funny and goofy. And, and it's, a t- it's a time for the, for the adults. I think Halloween has become more for the adults than it is for the children. Because what we'll do is we go to Goodwill, Salvation Army, and what do we do? We start buying these things. And we get to play dress-up for one day out of the year. See, kids can do this any day of the year, and they're just kids being kids. But we as adults, we get dressed up, and we act like kids. And it's our chance to dress up and play dress-up. So we go to what we do. We, we, we go to what I used to call flea markets, okay? They're not called flea markets anymore. They're now vintage markets, Okay? There's entire shows out there on how to go to a vintage market. And what do we do? We're not buying junk. That's what I call it. We're buying, we're reclaiming it. We're giving it meaning again. What was one man's junk becomes another man's treasure. And when we are living a wrecked life, but we find out that we can live a reconciled life and be reconnected and reunited with Jesus, then we can move into a reclaimed life, a life that is both beautiful and useful. Look at verse 22. 
And as we are reconciled, now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order. Why? Why? Why does God do this? Why did he send his son? Why did he die? Why does he reconcile us? Why didn't he write us off as you losers? Why didn't God of the universe just wipe the world out? Because he wants to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach. And man, I'm not holy and I'm not blameless. Listen, this is the beauty of the relationship is that he is going to make us. He imputes righteousness to us and then he makes us righteous. And he does this best work in us. As we yield to Him, as we live this reconciled life with Him, as we walk with Him, as, as we, we, we give our lives fully and completely to Him. And he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You know, here's, here's, here's the reality that these three lives that we live, or we could live, we may only live the wrecked life. But hopefully we'll live this reconciled life. But hopefully we'll move past that to the best life. And that best life that he's wanting to do in us, Satan is wanting to beat us down. In fact, you might just know Satan is your greatest enemy. He is your accuser. He is going to stand before God. And he is going to accuse you day and night before God. He is going to shame you before God. He is going to shame you in your soul. He is going to remind you of every time you've lived this wrecked life over here. He's going to remind you of that. But here's the beauty of the relationship with Jesus. When you're reconciled to Jesus, Jesus is not saying, Hey, yeah, he is a loser. Yeah, he did that and she did that. No, no. He's saying, no, you're talking about my children. They're holy. They're blameless. They're above approach. I'm, I'm doing something in them. Jesus becomes our rescuer. Satan is our accuser. Jesus is our rescuer. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 4, verse 4 and following, he says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God, we all need some but gods in our life. We need some but God moments in our life. Whenever we look at the wrecked life that we live, And we will start walking in this reconciled life. And how does that happen? It's because, but God stepped into my life. Yeah, Mike, you you cheated here. And Mike, you lied here. And Mike, you lusted here. And Mike, you lost your temper here. Yeah, I know, I know, I know I did. I'm a loser. That's what the accuser's saying to me. Yeah, you know, Mike, when you did that back there? Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't know what to say. The accuser is accusing me. Jesus, the rescuer, he's saying, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. But God, 
who has great love for you, but God, who even though you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, but God, He made us alive. Together with Christ, we're made whole. But God. I want to close by reading a quote by Helmut Tillich. This is what it says. It's a long quote, but just just indulge me for a moment. Jesus gained the power to love harlots, bullies, ruffins. He was able to do this only because he saw through the filth and the crust of degeneration. Because his eye caught the divine original which is hidden in every way and in every man. When Jesus loved the guilt-laden person and helped him, he saw in him the erring child of God. He saw in him a human being whom his father loved and grieved over because he was going wrong. He saw in him as God's originally designed and meant him to be. And therefore, he saw through the surface, the layer of grime and of dirt, the real man underneath. Jesus did not identify the person with his sin, but rather saw in this sin something alien. Something that really did not belong to him. Something that merely chained and mastered him. From which he would free him and bring him back to his real self. Jesus was able to love men because he loved them right through the layer of mud. If you are in Christ today, you are beautiful and you are useful. Do not listen to the shame of Satan. If you're living a wrecked life today, why? Why? Be reconciled. Jesus has already leaned in. Would you lean into him? Would you lean in and reunite with him? He's leaned into you. He's come for you. He's come to be with you. And if you're a follower of Christ already today, move past just a reconciled life and move into that life where God makes you beautiful and useful. Would you bow your heads with me? Who are you today? I pray that you know Christ. You know Him as as the reconciler of a broken relationship. He more than wants to forgive you. He wants to be reconciled to you. He wants to not only forgive your offenses, but He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. Father, You know the hearts of everyone in this room. You know where we're at and where we're not. You know who's living the wrecked life and who's living a reconciled life and, Lord, who is living the best life. A life that is holy, 
a life that is blameless, a life that is above reproach, not because we got there on our own, but because you called us, made us that way. Lord, would you do a forever changing work in us and set us free from the mud and the filth of a broken life to be free in you, Christ. Set us free. Let us walk as free men and women in this world of captivity. Lord, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you worship with us now as we sing about this freedom in Christ?